what a blessing it is to have Rebetzin Sandy as part of our lives. I don't know where we would be without the guidance, without the love, and without the insight that she gives to our congregation. I know I can tell you personally, she loves me very deeply, but she loves all of you very deeply too. Amen. And it is my most happy pleasure this morning to welcome her and to, to be so excited because God has given her a word this morning for us. I want you to listen carefully because my experience has been that when Sandy gets a word from the Lord, pay attention. Amen. So without any further ado, please stand. Let's welcome our beloved Rebecca. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Rabbi Yura is helping me get the microphone turned out the headset. Am I on the headset now? All right. It's one of the firsts for me to have a headset. I think Rabbi Yuri and Rabbi David got new ones, and so I get to use this one. We are reading about, can I put this aside? We're reading about Joseph these days. And my husband has insights about Joseph that I've just um, loved all these years. He, he had so many things. He sees so much into Joseph's life. And so let's start with um, the beginning here in of this week's Parsha in Genesis 37.1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Now notice that. This is the history of Jacob. The next verse, or the rest of that verse, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. So I thought this was supposed to be the history of Jacob. Now all of a sudden, it's about Joseph, who's only 17. And the lad, they call him a lad, the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved him. Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic of many colors. So I just think it's interesting that this starts out being the narrative about Jacob, but quickly switches off to Joseph. And the rest of the Parsha and the Parshas for the next many weeks have to do with Joseph. Well, I want to back up a little bit, and let's talk about Jacob. Have you ever heard the saying, be careful what you wish for? Be careful what you ask for? 
can you imagine the dynamics in this family? Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He worked seven years for Laban in order to marry Rachel. At the wedding, Laban made a switch and gave Jacob his oldest daughter, Leah. Now, really, those are very few words, but if you can just imagine the family dynamic going on here and how Laban was scheming about this without telling uh, Jacob. Rachel's expecting this to be her wedding day and it's her sister's wedding day. I mean, this is a mess. We think we have complicated families. This family, <laughs> this family was so complicated. So Laban makes the switch, and actually it was because of the norms and the traditions of that day in that place. Earlier it says, Jacob was a stranger in this land. So possibly this wasn't a tradition that he knew of, but in this land, this was a tradition for the older daughter to marry first. And so Laban, even though it wasn't what uh, Leah and Jacob expected, Laban was, this was normal for him. So Jacob had a week with Leah. They had a wedding. They have a week. And Jacob talked to, or I'm sure implored Laban, and there was an agreement that Jacob would have a week with Leah, and then he could have Rachel. Now, can you imagine that? And then, <laughs> after that week, Rachel was his wife as well. So, we can't imagine this, really, can we? But a part of the deal was he'd worked seven more years. So he's already worked seven years. There's this week in between, and now he's going to work seven more years. So then the children start coming. Jacob's firstborn with Leah was Reuben. Leah also born, uh, bore Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And then Rachel wants to get into the act because she's not having children, so she gives her handmaiden to Jacob. Can you imagine that? And on Rachel's behalf, Bilhah bore Dan and Naphtali. That makes Dan Bilhah's firstborn son. So, let's get to the right place here. Then Leah hadn't had children for a while. These other children had come along. So she gives Zilpah to Jacob, and they have God and Asher. So God, G-A-D, God, was Zilpah's firstborn. Now, we're counting three firstborns so far, firstborn sons. Three so far. So we've read in the last few weeks the struggle, the heartache, the longing, the crying out to God for Leah to have children. This was a big deal in this family that Leah had not had any children so far herself by Jacob, uh, Rachel. Thank you, Anya. 
<laughs> Help me keep it up here. So they were going through a lot. The family had gone through a lot. There's even a moment where Jacob and Rachel have it out. And Jacob says, who am I, God? You know, I, am I supposed to give you children? You know, what, are you expecting me? I'm not God. So they have a big uh, family bolagon over that. And after years of marriage between Jacob and Rachel, she finally has Joseph and Benjamin. Jacob knew the promises of God to his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And he knew those promises would be carried by his children. Jacob already had 12 children. Now, can you imagine this? He had 12 children when uh, Joseph came along. He had 11 sons and one daughter, Dinah. So out of these 11 sons, three were firstborn. And then there's Jacob, uh, Joseph, who is the fourth firstborn son. So it is complicated. And so be, because of all these other children, why was Joseph given the coat of many colors? I've got more questions than I have answers here. These are complicated matters. It was an ornate coat. Sometimes it's called a, be, a bejeweled coat. This coat signified who would be the leader, who would be the person who carries really the authority and the name of the family into the future. Not only was Joseph the son of his old age, but I think Joseph being the son born of Rachel and Jacob, he was the son that opened Rachel's womb and in Exodus 13, 2, we read the scripture, which is the foundation for Pidyon Haben. It's the sanctif sanctification of the firstborn son who opens a womb. So now, Rachel is the one who has, she finally has a baby. She finally has a child that opens her womb. So let's switch off for a minute to uh, the Brit Hadashah portion, which is Romans 8, that I'm going to read, 8, 26 through 29, just after what we read today. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches the heart he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that they may be the firstborn among many brothers. In Joseph's case, 
He was treated by his father as the firstborn. The firstborn among, among many brothers. He had 11 brothers. He had three other brothers that were first, firstborn sons. But it seems to me that Jacob is putting in order what he and Rachel had seen for their future in the first place. Rachel was the one that he longed for. Rachel was the wife that he chose, that he wanted for the rest of his life. And so in late, late in his life, he has this son, Joseph, and he chose Joseph. I think he broke norms there uh, of, his, of the people that he was a part of, but he was choosing Joseph to be the firstborn and made it clear to everyone with this coat. When Jacob saw Rachel, he had a glimpse of his future, of his family's future. He really had no idea what that longing would cost him. He had no idea what it was going to take to extend and preserve his family. He had no idea how God was going to use him and his family to extend the promises that God had made to Abraham and Isaac. And so I want to talk to you about what you long for, what you hope for, what you're looking for for your future. Can I just say you don't know what it is? You don't. You have something in here that you're longing for, but you do not know what it is. It's like before, David and I have prayed for many couples that want children, and it's like this groaning too deep for words, it's like a longing that can't be put into words, can't be described. And when that's in someone's heart, they have this longing, but they don't know what this child is going to be. When they finally get the child, they have no idea. While they're having the longing, it's just the longing. Just think of it, when you're, when you're looking for what's next, when you're hoping for your future, for the future of your family, you do not know what it is. So as that longing grows in you, and like we read in um, the Brit Hadashah, the, what's in there, there are groanings that we can't even put words to. The Spirit is interceding for us about what we're longing for. And once you have children, you have, you have this longing for children. Well, as soon as you conceive and you have that child, then you want the child to be healthy. That's what you're longing for. Then you want him to be smart. Then you want him to have friends. Then you want to have a good life for it. It's like never ending. But in each of these longings, you really don't know what's coming. It's in your heart, you're longing for it. So the Spirit is helping you and depositing in you, sort of apart a, a from your mind, what's coming. This is the longing, the, the groaning. So David and I, when we married, it was unusual. Um, he's from a, a prominent Jewish family. 
I was a little single mom and from a very different kind of world. And when we married, it was a bit of a, a uproar, I would say, in, the fam in David's family, in the Jewish community. And as we married, we had glimpses of our future. You remember David talked about this word, adumbration. That's um, where you sort of see ahead. You have a glimpse ahead, but you don't know what it is. You've got this glimpse. And in writing, uh, there's a, the word adumbration, if you're writing fiction, there's a, a, a device where you give a hint about something. And this hint sort of leads you to what is going to unfold later. And that's the way these longings are in us. We have this hint of what we're longing for, but we really don't know. Just like you don't know what the child's going to be, you don't really know how God's going to work out the longing in your heart. David and I lived in Roanoke, Virginia, and he grew up there, we were married there, he came to Yeshua there, jarring his family, jarring the J Jewish community. So these weren't easy years, and we loved our community, and we loved sort of being known, being, being a part of this big, not big, small city, small Jewish community, but we fit in in a very strange kind of way. And, but we felt we had this glimpse of something in the future. And we would pray, we would groan, we would cry, you know, about what is this? What is it that you have for us, God? So by a few years of these feelings, our son was in university, our daughter was in school in another city, and one night, David said to me, tomorrow the Lord's going to show me our future. Well, I was like, what? <laughs> We've been waiting for this for so long. You know, what is it? What, what is this that's going to transpire? So, but during that time, our lives didn't stop. We had businesses. We had David's family was in Roanoke where we lived. Um, his mother had had a hemorrhage in her brain at a very young age, in her 50s. And she was in uh, a care facility. So she couldn't move, she couldn't speak. It, it, this, this, of course, disrupted, but this changed the whole dynamics of this big family. David was one of six children. And as those dynamics changed, she was the matriarch. And um, so here we had, so this is sort of the setting of what was going on in our life. We owned a home. We had a group that met in our home. It was like a little, little house church. And it, the name of it was Bethlehem Judah. So, um, David says this night, I don't remember what day of the week it was, tomorrow God's going to show me our future. So I didn't see him for the rest of the night, and he got up in the morning, and 
I'll let you sometime him tell you his story of how that all transpired. But when he came to me and I said, well, what's our future? And he said, well, God said to me, go to Rochester, New York and serve David Young. David Young was David Levine's mentor. He lived in Rochester, New York, which was like another country to us. We were Southerners. <laughs> and I was actually thinking it was going to be something like, make Aliyah, live in Jerusalem, do, an, do amazing things, you know. I mean, that's how fuzzy your, your hope of the future can be. So... This was an adjustment, but that year we began to take, this was 1986, we began to take the people in our little group to Rochester because we said, you can go with us, you can stay here. You know, there are several options. So we took two or three couples at a time up to Rochester. They'd never been there before. And by, we put our house on the market, we sold our businesses, we walked the streets where our house was, in the places we'd lived. We, we walked down by our children's schools, which were just like two blocks from our house. Their grade school, their high school, the junior high was over here. We just walked those streets for weeks. And we would say, God, I give you my familiarity with this. I give you back this school that I've been to so many times. I give you these streets where we spent our life, where our children played, where we grew up. So we did all that. Our house didn't sell. You know, you hear a word from the Lord and you think, Wow, everything's going to work out great, you know. I wanted to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to Rochester. So surely, you know, this switch is going to be awesome. So our house hadn't sold after many months. And we had a golden retriever named Simcha. And so we, we, had, we had a little Honda two-door car. We put Simcha in the back some suitcases in the back seat, and we drove to Rochester and moved in with friends and lived in their bedroom, waiting for our house to sell. So while we're living there, and we, you know, we're there to serve David Young, our first jobs was to set up the chairs in the sanctuary. And then our second job was to, there was a sort of a care facility, and there were several people in that facility that went to this little church. So our job was to drive, pick them up, and then take them to home group. We had a small home group by this time. So after maybe 10 months, our house sold. And during that time in Rochester, the reality of what it really meant to follow this word of the Lord, to step into our future, you know, it's coming to us. It's like living in someone's bedroom, our dogs digging holes in their backyard. <laughs> you know, we're setting up chairs for all the meetings. And 
after a few months, we had no more resources, and David was able to find a job um, working in a small construction company as the accountant. So the reality of this uh, word from the Lord was really hitting us. And then finally our household, and we drove back without Simca. We left her in Rochester. And when we drove back to Roanoke to get our household, uh, we had to drive, we put our household in U-Haul trucks, the big ones with the mirrors on the side. Well, somebody had miscalculated, and it turned out we needed two of them. And so I was going to have to drive a U-Haul truck full of our, you know, half, half of our household in this U-Haul truck. So we had people that were staying behind in Roanoke came and helped us pack up our house. Our son came in from university to help us pack up. And it was emotional. It was an emotional time packing up our house and packing up our children's rooms and, you know, sending things off with them that, you know, they hadn't already taken in the next part of their life. So we said goodbye to our friends that night and our son, we said goodbye to him, and that was very emotional. And then the next morning, if we had to leave very early. We stayed someplace else. We came back to our house to get the U-Haul trucks. And the next morning at 5 o'clock, when we got there, our son was there. We never, ever expected that. He was, a, you know, a young adult in college. This 5 o'clock in the morning wasn't, you know, on his clock. But there he is, waiting for us. So, we get in these trucks, and our house was up sort of higher on the part of the street. And as I'm driving this truck away, I see there are these big mirrors on this side, I see our son standing on the curb, waving goodbye. That's when the cost hit me. You don't follow the Lord without huge cost. When you say Hineni, you have no idea what the payment's going to be. You have no idea what, what it's going to take to go on to that next thing. You don't even know what it is. And so I'm driving this truck. I still have the image of him. It was in this mirror over here of him standing there, just waving goodbye. This is the house he'd grown up in. And so I was brokenhearted. And I remember just weeping and weeping and crying out to the Lord. Not necessarily for a change. You know, I knew that this was the path to take. I knew our son was at a time in his life where he was, you know, children grow up. They have a next phase. He was in that next phase. 
But oh my goodness. So into this U-Haul truck, the Holy Spirit came. And he said to me, we have something in common. And I remember just saying, how could this be? How could we have something in common? And he said, we both had to turn around and walk away from our sons. Well, I was, this didn't fix everything, but I thought, you know, here the Holy Spirit, the person who had given us this assignment in the first place, who had answered the longing with something we didn't ask for necessarily, but he'd given us the next thing, and we were trying to be faithful to that. And then I was just digesting this, I remember, for many miles. And a little later, I knew he was there, like, present again. And he said, if you'll take care of the sons that I send you, I'll take care of your son. What a deal! I mean, I couldn't have negotiated that one. This was, I mean, talk about more than you can ask or imagine. Going to, you know, when the Lord said, go to Rochester and serve David Young, I can look back now and see that was a situational word. I mean, am I in Rochester? I've been in many countries since Rochester. This is Jacksonville. So we were in Rochester for a time, but the word that lasts a lifetime is the other word that he gave me. If you'll take care of the sons I send you, I'll take care of your son. And brother, you won't even believe the way that's happened. My son has five children. He has five wonderful children. They're the, we have seven grandchildren, so they're the ones in Richmond, Virginia, that are, we just love them. But today, when we were, um, let me just see what time it is. During our liturgy, let me, oh, let me get my glasses. So we uh, read today, O Lord, you are mighty forever. You raise the dead. You are mighty to save. You sustain the living with grace. You resurrect the dead with abundant mercy. Uphold the falling, heal the sick, so make no phlegm. Set free those in bondage and keep faith with those that sleep in the dust. Who is like you, master of mighty deeds? Who can compare to you, king who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout? You are faithful to resurrect the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who resurrects the dead. David and I were talking about how God's taken care of our son. And 
David said, well, what about Gareth? If, and Gareth is the third son of my sons. So he, he has two brothers and then two younger sisters. Well, Gareth was at a swimming event and there were a lot of children there and our, and our son and daughter were counting, you know, heads. And Gareth was missing. Well, Gareth actually drowned, and there was someone there that had uh, learned CPR 20 years before, resuscitated Gareth, and he's alive and well and same age as Joseph was, 17 years old. So we think, David and I were talking, we said, if Gareth had died, it would have totally changed that family. And I realized that this promise, if you take care of the sons I send you, that, that applies to my grandsons. It applies to those people that God points out and says, what about him? Work with him. I've had two Israeli young men as business partners. So there was a time that they were in and out of our house. We took care of them. So through the years, God's really sent me a lot of uh, sons, his sons, to look after in one way or another. But I just saw this differently recently when David said, what about our grandsons? So they're part of the deal. So I realized this is a generational promise. This is a promise to me that moves on through the generations just like our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So where we're getting with this today is the, the name of this message, Ruth, I would say, words that last a lifetime. And so, if you don't have a word that lasts a lifetime, if you don't have a word that's carrying you into your future, it, you know, not everybody's in full-time ministry. It took a lot for us. We had to support ourselves many years in full-time ministry. And, but everyone, the Lord wants to use each one of you to give you something that will carry you into your future, that will sustain you. And David's been talking about cherishing the word God gives you. This is just the next part of that message. Cherish the word God gives you. Write it down. If you're not writing things down, you won't remember it. And I'll tell you, for many years, I took this word to mean these people were my sons. Well, when they would leave or go away for some reason, I was brokenhearted. It's like, wait a minute, I thought this was one of my sons. You know, I look back in my journals and it says, when you take care of these sons, I send you. They're not my sons, they're his sons. So write down what God gives you. And Brian, could we sing this song one more time, the worship team? 
most of the time in um, my life and in Rabbi David's life, the words that we get that last a lifetime or that take us into the future or that somehow change everything have been right here. It's not somebody laying, it's for us, it hasn't been somebody laying hands on you and saying, you're going to do this or that. I see this about you. There may be things that you'll hear like that. And some people get that. But you can't move. It's not a good idea like to move to another country because somebody sees something. So what I'd like to do is sing this song one more time. And while we're singing it, just ponder for yourself, what's a word the Lord has given you that you want to be true to, that you want to remember, that you'll write down today, or you'll go back to where you wrote it down and you'll review it. And I just trust that God's going to meet you and confirm that word, or this could be the beginning of you seeking to have that word. So thank you for this time and let's stand together. I have a
thank you so much for this wonderful, strong word. Let's close with our benediction. Let's stand together and yeah. yeah. He knows everything. He knows everything. Yeah. So let's pray. Я Радонай Пана Велеха, Виху Неха. И Садонай Пана Велеха, Веясем Леха, Шалом. Адонай bless you and keep you. Адонай make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. Adonai, turn his face toward you and grant you shalom. Amen. Shabbat shalom. We turn this off. I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, now it is off.